good, so good. Hey, before we jump into tonight, can we just thank Isaac, our worship leader? He is doing such an awesome job leading us in worship. Um, he, he's amazing. Thank you so much. I, I love the songs and, and getting to sing together. But hey, to kick off chapel tonight, we're going to start with a little game. Uh, I need my friend Blake to come up here real quick. Blake, can everyone say hi, Blake? All right, and with Blake, we're going to play a little game called Hume Bugs or Gummy Bugs, okay? In other words, in a minute, Blake, we're going to blindfold you, and you're going to have the opportunity to decide if the bowl in front of you is full of gummy bugs that you could eat and enjoy, or if they're real Hume Bugs that you don't want anything to do with. Does that sound okay? You down to play? All right, uh, Kenai is in the back right over there. Go ahead and head back over there. You guys, give Blake a round of applause. Give Blake a round of applause. Go ahead and head outside, Blake. While Blake's heading outside, hey, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm also glad you're here. Okay, you guys, so... All right, so you guys, hold on, hold on. All right. I'm going to turn, can we turn my mic off for a minute? Okay, thank you, Jack. All right, we turn off my mic for a minute, okay? We're going to have a little fun, play a little prank on Blake, okay? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, okay, guys? Shh, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, okay? Listen up. In the bowl are just gummy, gummy, like, worms, gummy bugs, okay? They're, they're, just, they're gummy worms. You can eat them. They're, you can eat them, right? When Blake comes in, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to say, hey, Blake, there's just gummy worms in there. You can eat them. They're gummy worms. And every time I try to tell him that, I need you guys to tell him, no, don't eat it. So you guys are trying to convince him that there's real, hold on, you guys need to try to convince him that there's real bugs in there and that I'm lying to him, okay? Does that sound okay? Everyone understand the assignment? Everyone got the assignment? All right, Stripes, can we let him in? All right, so we are bringing Blake back in here. Can everyone welcome Blake back up to the stage? Okay. All right, Blake, are you completely blindfolded at this point? Yes. Can you see anything? Oh, this is so good. This is so step two. Step three, you did it. You did it. Give it up for Blake. All right, Blake, you're going to be totally safe. Don't worry. Spin around right here. All right, are you completely blindfolded? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So keep your eyes closed. Keep that blindfold on. Here's the deal, Blake. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put before you a bowl. And inside of the bowl is either going to be some nasty, real, hume bugs that you don't want to touch, or... They're going to be gummy bugs that you could eat and enjoy with your friends, okay? So I am now going to put the bowl in front of you. Don't touch it. Just stay right there. I'm going to put the bowl in front of you. Now, now hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, okay, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, okay. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Blake, Blake, hold on. Guys, all right, hold, hold on real quick. Hold on. Guys, Blake, Blake. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. All they are is gummy bears. All there are is... 
Blake, Blake, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Blake, Blake, I'm just telling you, I promise you, you can trust my voice. You can trust my voice. They are just gummy bears. Okay, okay, hold you guys, hold on, hold on, hold on. Blake, 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 listen to my voice. Just listen to my voice. You can trust me, okay, Blake? I have not led you astray. Blake, they're just gummy bears. They're just gummy bears, Blake. That's all they are. Okay. Okay, you guys, no more noises. No more noises. No more, no more saying anything, please. No more saying anything. No more saying anything. Blake. Blake. No more saying anything. No more saying anything. Shh. No more. Hey, brother, brother. No, no, thank you. No more saying things. Blake, you get to decide. Do you think they are gummy bugs? Or do you think they're real bugs in that bowl? What do you think? Um, do they feel kind of rubbery? I, I, I don't know. I, I need you to decide. Do you think? Because if you think they're real bugs, you don't want to put your hands in there. But if you think they're gummy bugs, then you're going to have to put your hands in there and test it. Yeah. You need to decide. What do you think? Are they gummy bugs or are they not? Gummy bugs. He thinks they're gummy bugs. <laughs> All right. All right, if you think they're gummy bugs, go ahead and put your hands in the bowl. Oh, oh grab one. All right, let's see. Are you willing to eat it? You willing to eat it? Are you willing to eat it? But you said they're gummy bugs. They feel like gummy bugs. Are you willing to eat it? All right, go ahead and eat it. No, you don't have to. Yeah, all right, here. Hold on. All right, you guys. All right. All right, go ahead and take off the blindfold. They're gummy bugs. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're going to get to take a few of these back to your seat, but before you do, before you do, before you do, hold on, hold on. Not the whole bowl. Hold on. Hold on, Blake. Now, Blake, Blake. Why, tell me why did you hesitate when I told you that they were gummy bugs? Why did you hesitate? Um, because it could have been real bugs. Okay. Was there anything that was influencing you to make you think that they were actually yes, real bugs. Because they were saying no, no, no. They were constantly so so you had to decide which voice you were going to listen to. You had to decide who you were going to trust, right? Mm-hmm. All right, here's what I want you to do, Blake. Blake, take a handful of those. Can I take the handful? No, just one handful, bro. No, just a, a normal size handful. Oh my gosh, bro, just a little handful. No, that's good. Oh my gosh. That's disgusting. Oh, all right, take those back to your seat. Take those back to your seat. All right, you guys, give Blake a round of applause. Give Blake a round of applause. Now. Once the Israelites, once the Israelites began wandering in the desert, God said something profound to them in Exodus Chapter 13, in verse 21, he says this, or it it says this, by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar 
of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. The Israelites were not wandering in the desert alone. They, in fact, had God with them. God was present with them. Now, as we fast forward 2,000 years, what we talked about last night was the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead for every single one of us. And when you become a follower of Jesus, when you make him the Lord of your life, something incredible happens. The Holy Spirit actually enters your life. In fact, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Do you know what this means? This means that we are never, ever alone. That you may feel alone at times. You may think you are completely by yourself. But if you are a follower of Jesus, what is more true is that you are actually never, ever alone. Because God's spirit is always with you. But that doesn't mean that following Jesus is easy. It doesn't mean that the Israelites didn't have doubts and concerns even though they had the cloud and the fire. That just because God is present in your life doesn't mean life won't be hard and difficult and challenging. And what I want to talk about tonight is that there are essentially two responses to the reality that God is present in our lives. Let me say it again. There are no circumstances you could go through as a follower of Jesus where God is not with you. God is always with his people through the Holy Spirit. But you and I have to decide how are we going to respond to God's presence in our life. God is with you right now. God is with you when you go back down the mountain. God is with you in your home life. God is with you when you're around your friends, maybe the ones who don't know Jesus and might want to tempt you to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do. God is always present with you. The question is, will you push past the fears and choose to obey him? Blake had to make a decision to push past the fears of your messaging to him in order to trust my voice. And in the same way, following Jesus is going to put you in positions. He's going to challenge your thinking. He's going to call you to do things with your life, to tell others about him, to live radically different than other people in the world. And the temptation is going to be because of the fear and the cost of following Jesus that you're going to want to just run away. But I can tell you this, if you choose to push past the fear and obey God, you will live the life you were created to live. And I want to look at you, I want, I want to look at one story with you tonight, where Jesus interacts with a man and his entire village, and the village responds in fear, but the man responds in obedience. And then I want to just simply ask you at the end of our time together tonight, which response are you choosing right now, and which response will you choose when you go home. I remember when I was a, a, um, 
maybe a, a junior in high school, and I was in this class called Conceptual Physics, which is like a fancy name for kids who aren't really good at math, you take this class. And so that's the class I was in. And I remember we had a substitute this specific day, and, and I remember as I was walking to school that morning, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I had just kind of become a Christian a few years ago, going to my freshman year. I grew up in an amazing Christian home, but it really wasn't my own faith until I became a freshman in high school. And, and so by, by my junior year, I was praying things like, God, my life belongs to you. Use me in whatever way you want. We sat down in class, and we could sit anywhere we wanted in this class, and the substitute just said, just w work on the projects that you have. And so I sit down, and this girl sits next to me, and her name is Heidi. And Heidi, oh, we have a Heidi here. Probably not this Heidi. Heidi said, she looks at me, and she just says, so why do you believe in God anyway? Now, Heidi, Heidi knew that at that time, at that time, I was the president of our Bible club at our school, and, and let's just say hey, hey, Heidi, she was an atheist. She didn't want anything to do with God. And I remember being really afraid to, to, to respond to her. And there was a part of me that just wanted to retreat and go away, but, but there was something more in me going, no, this is the moment to be obedient to Jesus and to trust him and to watch him work. Friends, I don't remember much of high school, but I'll never forget that conversation with Heidi. I remember during my senior year, I was walking to school and I prayed, God, you have my life. Would you use it in any way you want? And I was walking to lunch and I noticed this kid sitting by himself in our quad area and, and I just felt like God's spirit said, go sit with him. And I just said, that's like the weirdest thing ever, God. Nobody does that. That's weird. And I just felt like God said, just do it. And so I walked over and I sat down next to him and I, I put my hand out and I said, hey, my name's Eric. What's your name? And he didn't shake my hand. He turned into his backpack and pulled out a piece of paper and a pen and he started to write some things down and then he handed it to me and it, it said, hi, my name's Joe. I'm deaf, so I don't like to talk, but we can write. And for a month, Joe and I would eat lunch together, writing these notes back and forth, getting to know each other. And he told me about how he was an atheist and how because of the struggles and challenges he had faced, he couldn't believe in a good, loving God. And I gave him a Bible, and we got to talk about how much God actually did love him. I don't remember the SAT questions I took. I don't remember the, the, the tests. I'm trying to remember what else you do in high school. I don't remember what me and my friends did at lunch. I don't remember really anything about high school, but I'll never forget Joe. Why? Because I think it was one of those moments, and I wish there were more, and I want there to be more in my life, where I pushed, pushed past fear and chose to be obedient to Jesus. That is the response that he's looking for. Find me in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. If you got your Bibles with me, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. This is one of my favorite stories. This is such a cool encounter. Follow along with me. Luke 8, 26 begins like this. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met, notice this, he was met 
by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Life was bad for this dude. Things were not going well. He's butt naked. He's in a tomb. He doesn't live in a house. He's just doing his own thing. And needless to say, there's not a lot of people that want to hang out with him. When he saw Jesus, verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. This is really interesting to me because he clearly doesn't know what Jesus is all about. He thinks that Jesus showed up to this particular region to torture this demon-possessed man, these demons that are talking through this man. He's got such a warped view of Jesus. Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this phrase, solitary places, is used five times in the Gospels. Four of those times, it's used to describe Jesus, who intentionally gets away to pray to his heavenly Father. One of those times, it's used to describe this man who is cast out in isolation. In other words, just from this one idea here, we learn that solitude with God is a great thing, but isolation from others is a very dangerous thing. That intentionally getting away, as many of you have done this week, spending time in God's word by yourself, praying, talking with God, solitude time with God, just you and Jesus is so important and is so good for our relationship with God, but isolation is actually incredibly dangerous. And I imagine many of us experience that over these last few years, that we experience some isolation, and, and if we're not careful, sometimes the activities we participate in that are just by ourselves, whether they're gaming or social media or, or uh, a solo task by yourself, can actually lead us to being isolated from others. You see, things are bad for this guy. He has no friends. He has no community. A demon is controlling him, and he's living isolated from God and from others. We learn a little bit more about him. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. This word legion is a Roman term. It's a Roman term to describe 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. So when the Roman emperor would send out a legion, it meant six thousand foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. In other words, this man is saying to Jesus, there's not just one demon in me, there's many demons in me. 
This guy has hit rock bottom a thousand times. He's at an all-time low right now. Verse 31, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. This part blows my mind. Here's Jesus showing compassion to demons. And I know this is a weird, crazy idea, but, but just think about this for a minute. These demons are telling Jesus, we don't want to go into the abyss, send us into the pigs, and Jesus gives them permission. In other words, it's impossible for Jesus to not show compassion. And I, and I hope maybe you're kind of catching on where I'm, where I'm going with this. Some of you, you think a sin that you committed five years ago, 10 years ago, a, a sin that you committed last month, something that's happened, something you've done in your life is so big, is so massive, was so wrong, was so sinful that you've begun to believe there is no way God could forgive that or show compassion to me. Could you and I just take a cue from this moment? If Jesus is willing to be compassionate to thousands of demons, he can surely be compassionate to you and to me. And so I don't know who this is for, but I think there's somebody out here right now who you have been holding on with so much regret, with so much bitterness and pain and hurt, and there's that thing that you did that you just can't let go of. And, and, and you've, you're trying to climb the ladder constantly. And you may say all the right things, but, but deep down inside, you believe the thing you did was so bad that there's no way God could ever forgive you. What I love about the gospel, what I love about the Bible is, is even a, a moment, a brief moment, an obscure moment that most of us would look over between Jesus and these demons can remind us how compassionate God is. You are forgiven if you receive his love. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you, if you said, Jesus, your death on the cross and resurrection covered me, then you are completely forgiven. Jesus didn't just die for your past sin. He's died for your current sin, and he's died for your future sin. And every time, I don't know why I'm going on this rant, but I just got to go there for somebody here. Every time Satan reminds you of your past sin, you remind him that Jesus already paid for it. Every time Satan brings to your mind that thing that you did, that sin that you participated in, you now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can boldly respond to Satan and say, yeah, that was bad, and Jesus died for it and I'm forgiven. And you can walk in that freedom. Check out what happens next. This is so beautiful. 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs 
And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet. Do you know what the fastest thing on planet earth is? You know what the fastest thing on planet earth is? The cheetah, that's pretty good, right? Catch this. The speed of light, right? Speed of light. Sit on this for a minute, sit on this for a minute. The fastest, hold on, hang with me. The fastest thing on planet earth is not the cheetah, it's not the speed of light, It is the speed of grace. You know what is faster than a cheetah? What's faster than a Tesla? What's faster than... I like Tesla. Sorry, what's faster than the speed of light? Check this, students. It's the speed at which God gives you his grace. It's the speed at which God forgives you. This man was naked, running around in the tombs, demons coming out of him, and after one encounter with Jesus, he's sitting at his feet. Just let that sink in. The best grades will not get you at the feet of Jesus. The greatest athletic accomplishments will not get you at the feet of Jesus. Memorizing tons of verses will not get you at the feet of Jesus. Any of your accomplishments will not get you at the feet of Jesus. It is the speed of his grace. It is his grace, his invitation that takes you and I who are just like this man, broken inside and out. And in an instant, because God is present, we can sit at his feet. Well, here's where the story takes a turn. Here's where one group of people says, I'm going to respond to Jesus with fear, and the other says, I'm going to respond with obedience. Write this one down. Response number one to Jesus is fear. Response number one to Jesus is fear. It's not the one he wants you to do. It's not the one he wants you to take, but it is a response to Jesus. The first response, response number one to Jesus is fear, and it's found in one verse, verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. These people had no idea what to do with this upside down world, Jesus was creating in front of them. Just think about it. Their economy had been disrupted by the pigs being gone. 
a man that they had labeled as crazy and an outsider is now in his right mind. They can't put Jesus in a nice little neat box. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And they're beginning to realize, man, if we were to continue to listen to this guy and follow this guy, we might have to go hang out with some demon-possessed person. We may have to give up our pigs. We may have to do something radical. And so they respond with fear. Now, I actually think it's really healthy and important for every single one of us to recognize that to authentically follow Jesus is going to cost us something. And if any of you here have decided, well, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, but to me what that means is I just kind of add them on my list, and I have a bunch of things I do, and then following Jesus just means going to church on Sunday or Wednesday and kind of checking off this box, and, and Jesus is going to fit into my life, then you've missed it. Jesus wants to take over your life. He wants to completely lead and control your life and guide your life. So I understand why they're afraid. And Jesus wasn't interested in forcing them to follow him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says these words, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know what Jesus is doing right now to every single one of our hearts is this. He, he's knocking on the door of your heart trying to get your attention. And the danger of camp settings like this is that we might open the door and see Jesus and catch eyes with Jesus and, and feel all these feelings about Jesus and connect with Jesus. And we're having this amazing experience with Jesus, but we're leaving him on the doormat. Notice Jesus doesn't say, Hey, I want you to open the door and just wave at me from the porch. He says, I want to come inside. I want to come inside. I want to ask you students to be thinking about this. Have you kept Jesus on the doormat or have you truly invited him inside? Because you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to sit down, he wants to eat with you, and he wants you to give him the keys to your life. He wants you to recognize that he is a much better homeowner of your life than you could ever be. That what he will do with your house is far better than what you could do with your house. You can't even keep your room clean. He wants to fix it up. He wants to do things with your life that you could never do on your own. Will Jesus change your life? Yes. Will Jesus mess up your life? Absolutely. It's a guarantee. Possibly will things get harder because you're following Jesus? Yes. Will it be worth it every single time? I wrote out a list of things that I think responding to Jesus with fear could look like in the year 2022. And maybe some of you have said these things or you've thought these things. This is a list of maybe how we could respond to God with fear, not with obedience, but with fear. These would be lies that maybe we've believed. 
I can't follow Jesus because he asks too much of me. My sin is too big for Jesus to forgive. I'm too busy to follow Jesus right now. My family is broken and and Jesus doesn't use broken people. I have so many doubts and questions, so I will give up on following Jesus. But friends, there's a second response. There's a second response to the presence of God. There's a second response to Jesus, and I want you to write this down. Response number two to Jesus is obedience. Response number two to Jesus is obedience. The story closes like this, verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The man begs Jesus. He says, I just want to be with you. I just want to go with you. I'm going to get in that boat. I don't care if there's not a seat. I'll just like hang on the outside and like doggy paddle. Like I just want to chill with you, Jesus. Oh, I want to, I want to hang out. I want to stay with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back home. I want you to go back to the people closest to you. For some of you, that's the friends that are on your soccer team. It's the parents that you live with. It's the siblings that you have. It's, it's the friends at youth group. It's the extracurriculars that you're a part of. And Jesus says to this man what he says to you. No, I want you to go home and I want you to tell everybody what I have done for you. And on Wednesday night, as we're sort of landing the plane and only have a few more days of camp, I want you to write these two questions down. And I'm giving you the next two days to answer these questions before you get on the bus to go back home. Question number one is this. What has Jesus done for you? I want you to write that down. And I want you to spend some time over these next two days, maybe even in cabin time tonight, taking some time to really think and to write down what has Jesus done for you? That's question number one. And question number two is this, who are you sharing that good news with? What has Jesus done for you? And who is Jesus calling you to share that good news with? You see, students, I kind of feel like sometimes we overcomplicate Christianity. We think it's about all these rules. I got to do all these things. Got to memorize all these verses. It's all so complicated. And then A few months ago, I stumbled upon Ephesians 5.10, and it made it so simple for me. Ephesians 5.10 literally says, and find out what pleases the Lord. You know what Christianity is all about? You know what being a follower of Jesus is all about? It's about three words, please the Lord. If gossiping, about your friends doesn't please the Lord, don't do it. If, if objectifying someone in your mind doesn't please the Lord, don't do it. If clicking around on sites that aren't honoring to God doesn't please the Lord, don't do it. If telling your friends that you're praying for them and to encourage them and to speak words of life into them pleases the Lord, which it does, then do it. 
The work of following Jesus is about just trying to discover what pleases the Lord because that's what we want to do. We want to please him because he died for us and rose for us. It's not about a bunch of rules and checking these boxes and doing this and doing that in an impersonal kind of way. It's about loving in return the God who loved us first. It's about pleasing the Lord. Here's maybe that same list that I read earlier, but rewritten in a, in a way that might represent what responding to Jesus with obedience would look like. Here's some statements that I think we could claim and we could own. I will follow Jesus because he gave up everything for me. My sin is completely forgiven by Jesus. I can worship Jesus and share his love through every activity that I'm a part of. My family is broken, but Jesus always uses broken people. I have so many doubts and questions, so I will seek answers and follow Jesus. You see, you have two options before you. Respond to Jesus with obedience or respond to Jesus with fear. But never forget, he's always with you, even in those moments of great fear. I'll close with this story. A few years ago, we took our whole family to, uh, to the movie theaters. And it was when The Incredibles 2 came out. Anyone seen The Incredibles 2? Anyone like that? Okay, it was an awesome movie, right? The movie theater is packed with kids. Just, it's packed. Every seat is full. And if you've ever been in a theater with small kids, you know they're just talking the whole time. Everyone's just talking. I mean, I'm like, I'm like just stop talking. I want to hear the movie. But they're just, everyone's talking, having a good time, enjoying it. It's great. Until that scene in The Incredibles 2 where the villain starts brainwashing people and all of a sudden all those bright lights start flashing and every kid in the movie theater was terrified. I mean, these kids were scared straight, right? I mean, they, they were so, so nervous. And the movie theater, the movie theater got silent, absolutely silent. And all these kids had a little bit of fear in them. And then all of a sudden, Brinley, our daughter Brinley, she stands up in the middle of this movie theater, stands up, and in her loudest voice says, Holy Spirit, give me peace! She just screams it at the top of her lungs. And all these kids, everyone looks at her, and I, I initially was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of weird. Like, that's, what, is, what is she doing? But then I was like, wait, that's awesome. That even when she's afraid, she's remembering that the Holy Spirit is with her, that God is present with her. And I want to remind you that even when following Jesus gets a little fearful, is going to cost you something, and you're tempted to run back to comfort, I want to challenge you and encourage you to press on, remembering that the Holy Spirit is with you, and obey God, because that's 
That's, that's what following Jesus is all about. And here's a little secret. When you choose to obey God, even when you're a little bit afraid, that's when following Jesus gets real exciting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that for the Israelites, it was the cloud by day and the fire by night. And I thank you that for us Christians now, it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God, I'm so grateful that we are never alone, that you are always with us, that God, your presence is real in our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments where following you is really difficult, hard, and we're even a little afraid. But God, would you help us to resist the fear and instead choose to be obedient? May we follow the example of the formerly demon-possessed man. May we remember that your speed of grace is the fastest thing in the entire world, that you have truly forgiven us for everything and that we can sit at your feet and we can go home and tell people what you have done for us. Not because we've earned it, not because we've even cleaned ourselves up, but because you, you have made a way. So God, help us to choose to respond to you with obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.